Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge Edition of the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now this month, we're talking live about everything that might hold a writer back from producing the work that they really want to write and how they might overcome their roadblocks. Today, we get to hear from two writers at different stages of their writing lives. We have Timothy Deer and Hess Phillips. We might also have Joanna Rakoff come. I think she's having some family issues, but she might pop on. So if you suddenly hear her voice or see her picture, that's what's happening as well. Good morning, Hess and Timothy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. And Tim, I'm, Tim I'm just going to call you Tim because I'm used to calling you Tim. Is that okay? That's a-okay. You know, I've wondered if I should professionally go by Tim because there's a, a Timothy Deer doctor who fills all the Google search results with his pain research. So oh. I should find a new author name. Okay. <laughs> okay. Timothy Deer or Tim Deer is an executive's assistant by day and a novelist by night. He's also a damn good executive assistant. He's always reminding me of things that I need to do. I, I want to hire Tim. Um, he's currently putting the finishing touches on his novel, The Folly of Harvest. Um, it's a story about a dancer who gets caught up in a show that isn't quite what it seems. Hess Phillips is a novel incubator graduate whose debut novel, Lightborn, about the mysterious death of queer Elizabethan playwright Christopher Marlowe, comes out in the UK in May of 2024. So congratulations on that, Hess. Um, and we're also looking for the U.S. edition of that um, to be happening soon. Okay, we're going to get right to our listeners' question. We're just going to focus on one today because the one that we got is pretty uh, complex and has a lot of uh, issues in it. And it's from Rachel. Um, also, Ian, as you're listening in the chat, you can chime in uh, with your own uh, feedback about the question. Uh, you can also, um, or if you have similar problems about the question or, or other issues um, or obstacles that you're facing that are similar to the question, and you can add to the discussion in that way. Okay, here we go. Hello, Michelle. I've been working on a book project for more than a year. The genre is historical fiction, written in letters and journals. I have a couple of dozen letters and another couple dozen journal entries. I've done all sorts of research. That's the part I enjoy. I have a structure for the book, a narrative arc that covers 1862 to 1921, most of the protagonist's life. And though I have many thoughts about what she might want, might be grieving, things that amuse and befuddle her, I have not gotten back to serious writing of her journals for months. I've written 14 letters to her in my voice and wonder whether I should continue those or drop them. There are several reasons to consider both sides of this issue, so I dither. In my own journal, I am noting my current thoughts and her state of mind, relationships, curiosities, so I will have to go back to my journal to grab random ideas that I may have forgotten. Really, it's the dithering not knowing the most important next steps or how to discipline myself, but not waste time writing because it's time to write. Help! That's my favorite part of the recording is her calling out help. I'm going to end all emails uh, that way from now on. Yeah. People <laughs> are facing that. Like, we all feel this help. Um, God, I'm trying to finish a novel revision in, like, a week. Help! Okay. 
Hess, what do you think? Now, she's bringing a lot of issues to the table, so I think we're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, but she's working on a historical novel. It, it, it has letters and journals in it. It sounds like the journals that she's writing them in, the they're from the character's point of view, and that, the, that she's writing letters to the character in her own voice, so kind of, which is kind of interesting, possibly addressing the character in her story um, in terms of why she's interested in the story. Maybe the author is also reflecting on her own life and kind of combining the two. I'm, I'm maybe moving into a more kind of nonfiction step there, but I do think there's room for that in fiction as well. Um, she's covering a great deal of time period in the book, 1862 to 1921, I think she said. She knows the arc. She's written 14 letters to the character in her own voice, and she doesn't know if she should continue with that or not. So it sounds like she also doesn't think that those are really quite part of the novel or really should be part of the novel. So I wonder here, too, the issue might be thinking, oh, this is the right thing to do and this is not the right thing to do. And then I love the word dithering is my favorite overall. So Hess, what caught you here? And I, when I when I sent this to Hess last night, uh, Hess said that they um, talked to their wife about this for about a half hour, kind of going over the different uh, questions and, and answers, because there is a lot to talk about. Okay, Hess, what do you think? I mean, there's there's so much to talk about here. And because it's historical fiction, this is my jam, you know, <laughs> like I, I totally feel for what she's going through because I have been there, too. In fact, I am there because I'm trying to write my second novel right now. And I think I've probably used the word dithering about a hundred times to ex to describe what I am going through with this thing, because it just it just gets away from you. You go down all of these, these paths where you're not really sure where it's going to end. And then you end up back at the beginning again. And then, you know, you're starting from a completely different point of view. And, you know, there, it just takes on a life of its own at this stage. I mean, if she's been working on this for a year and a half, I assume that she's still in the drafting stage of putting together that first rough draft, which is very exciting and a huge pain in the butt. <laughs> I actually, I love the revision process because then it's like, you know, you have your, at least um, like a kind of rough statue there that you can kind of chisel away at and refine and just kind of shave off all the rough bits. And it's it's much more satisfying in a way than having to, to knock this rough form out of nothingness. Um, so yeah, I completely get where she's coming from. The thing that that I I latched on to at the end after listening to it several times because I, she's dealing with a lot of stuff was the word dithering. And um you know, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought is it really dithering? You know? I mean, like I was saying with with the novel that I'm working on right now, which is book 2 for me, um I'm doing a lot of that too, but it's like waves up a beach, you know, you, you get so far and then you go back, but you get a little further the next time and then you go back and you get a little further, you know, it's always um, growing towards something. And um, the other phrase that she used that stuck with me was wasting time writing because it's time to write. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm, 
don't really feel like time spent writing is ever really wasted, I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, expecting um, that the time that you put into writing is going to be writing that is any good and that you keep, which is actually a pretty high bar. Um, so I just, I just went through, I, I had, I used Scrivener and I moved it. I compiled it into a word document in order to go through my book. Um, and I mistakenly compiled everything. Um, and I think I broke the word document because the highest it went, and I don't think this was the highest that it was, the highest it went in terms of word count was 940,000 words. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this includes notes, dithering, other writing, other forms, me trying this out, all those, it includes everything I've ever done. All those waves that you're talking about. So if she is still in the early drafting stage, and it sounds like she is, um, she's talked about working on a book for over a year, which actually isn't very long at all, and particularly your first book. Um, she's still probably trying to find the, the form and to be um, awake to that. And I worry a little bit that she's kind of has a preconceived idea of what the book is going to be and and what the um arc of the book should be and how what the the book should look like and 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 yet she's not paying attention to what's coming alive on the page or even what she is most excited about writing and that's yeah. going to get you stuck every single time um particularly with historical fiction I, I but also with any novel you are learning the novel as you write it and if you don't allow yourself to make those mistakes, if you don't allow yourself to go in the 900,000 word direction of problems, um, I mean, this is why I don't publish every year, right? That's my excuse. Um, <laughs> then you're gonna, then you, then you're really gonna get stuck because you're expecting publishable material to come out of you right away. And that's just not gonna happen. That's just yeah. not gonna happen. Tim, what do you think? Gosh, yeah, I agree with everything has said for sure. Um, I also feel like I'm going to spend this entire time just quoting other people who are smarter than me. But this question made me think of a Virginia Woolf quote, which is the only way I keep afloat is by working. And I really think that to, to some extent, the questioner should, should should just take faith in the process. As Hess said, there's no there's nothing wasted in writing. So even getting words down, even if they aren't the words the right words that she'll end up using for the project. Um, there's really, there's something in the process. And so I think, um, you know, seeing value as that, as opposed to seeing it as a, a negative thing to just just be writing, um, I think there's something there. And I also I also was thinking of the Rebecca Mackay quote, um, writing is not typing. Um, and so the idea that re she almost makes research sound like a bad thing, like that's the part I enjoy. It's like, well, that's writing too. Um, and, and then writing that's not in the book is writing. And so writing sideways or writing to your character all of that's valuable. So I think part of it maybe is just just really taking, uh, like having confidence in in the way that that they're spending their time. Um, but you know, you can. This is the part about fiction, right? You can agonize over literally every decision. Um, I was recently revising a scene, and I realized I was spending fifteen minutes agonizing over whether the character got in line 
or looked at a screen. And in actuality, the character does both. It was just which I acknowledged on the page. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't a good use of my time. But you can do that with every every single thing that happens. So eventually you just have to sort of plow forward. Um, and I wonder if for this writer, setting goals would be helpful to, so that the time spent would be more productive. I was just reading Matt Bell's um, Substack, but he also has a fabulous craft book, um, Refuse to be Done or or Refuse to be Done, as I, as I like to call it. Um, um, but he was talking about writing outcome goals and then having sub-process goals. And so outcome goal is maybe a big picture, like, you know, finishing a book, um, even though you never set, you never set, like, that's never a day's goal, right? Like, you're not sitting down to write a book today, you're sitting down to write something specific. And so setting more plot process goals, like, this week, I'm going to write, you know, seven journal entries. Um, maybe that's too many. This week, I'm gonna write three journal entries. Or this week, I'm going to, you know, research one specific aspect or find three interesting facts to include in the book. So that even if there's not a, like, clear path forward, there are, you know, there's a checklist that the writer could work with to feel like, they're making progress. Because um, yeah. I feel like that's the biggest problem is the dithering feels pointless if you're not tracking it in a way or if, it, if it's not making you feel like you're making progress. Um, and I also think maybe just just figuring out better what the form is and what like what 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 the overall arc of the story is might help. And that would maybe clarify whether these these letters are part of it. Um, Save the Cat by Jessica Brody, I think is invaluable in that sense um, because it really forces you to think about your big picture structure, which you can change a million times, but it helps you think about like, where am I going? Um, Jessica Brody also has a great quote that I think applies here, which is that there is no such thing as writer's block. If you're awake, you can write. And so I think the idea that you're like, oh, I'm stuck. I don't know if this is included. It's like, but you can still write. And so, and so do yeah. that and then write through that and see where it takes you. Um, because to some extent, there's no way to know if these letters are a part of, or any of it is part of this project until you get it down and see how it writes and see how it, it fits into a bigger picture. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's why we love the novel incubator, right? We evaluate a whole project because that's the only way you can really see if one chapter or one scene or one character is really working. Um, so you just have to get it down on the page. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, you know, lots of thinking about writing happens as you're writing um it's part of the cognitive process so that 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 it, but that also might just mean some typing <laughs> yeah, i mean because sometimes you have to you know you'll sit down um i've been waking up at sunrise every morning i think i'm in the manic stage currently of finishing my book i wake up at sunrise and i start working um i don't even know what's happening at that time um, and when I'm, when I'm writing, I don't even look at my screen. I do just kind of tap at the keys just to kind of get out some garbage. Like I want a bagel. I am really tired. I, you know, I, I use the bagel reference a lot and I don't even eat bagels. I don't know why. I do <laughs> um, so, but, um, I do every now and then, but, um, some things that interesting things in the chat to go back to her, the format that she's using. Um, uh, Med uh, mentions, um, is it possible her letters to the character may be part of the novel? Maybe this is something to wonder about. That's what I'm wondering about that too, because I actually think that sounds great. Um, a stand-in for the author as a narrator, because you need to create a separate character from yourself 
for to be writing from. Even memoirs need to do that. Um, they, the the character that they're putting on the pages is a little bit separate from themselves because otherwise they're not going to be able to see them. But a, a, a narrator writing to a character, reaching back in time, talking to that character, reaching for that character, trying to make sense of that character in their life, and possibly even speaking about their own life in doing so that I love that can absolutely be part of a novel um and so if those letters are is what is flying out of you then I would absolutely follow that follow that energy follow that excitement you've got to follow where your writing energy is instead of constantly forcing yourself back to the things that you get stuck with because I tell you um, time and time again, I think, well, I have to write this scene or it has to go this direction. And I keep, I get stuck and it, my, my brain doesn't want to do it. My, my, I just don't want to go there. There's something where I keep avoiding it. And so I've gotten to the point I'm like, okay, I need to think of something else here, or I need to think of a different direction here because something is telling me this is the wrong way to go. This is just not, or, or maybe it would be the right way to go for another writer, but it's not the way, right way to go for me um, because I simply cannot get myself excited enough to go in that particular direction. Um, so Melanie also had the same thought, um, uh, perhaps not the author, but a future descendant that those letters are coming from. So you can, again, those letters are coming from a future descendant. You can create another character that's reaching back in time and talking to that um, that former character. And then Med also answers, um, there's something interesting about trying to access the character and the letters intrigue me along this line. I like the idea of a descendant trying to connect. Yes. And then Patricia says, I agree that making the letters she wrote actually letters from a descendant can work well. Maybe the descendant found the character's letters in journals about them or something. So this is fun. So now in chat, we're doing spitballing. This is real spitballing, right? Because people are like getting excited about ideas. Um, I mean, it's such a it's such a sorry. Um, it's such a no, fascinating for format for um, to think about as a as a historical. Yeah. As a piece of historical fiction, because. And this is one of the things that that struck me last night as I was talking about it is that this is from what she's describing it's it's sort of an epistolary novel but it, it's almost more of just an ephemeral novel it it's like yeah, what she's what she's doing here is almost creating an archive of this person's mm -hmm. life and we don't know if this is a real person that this is based on or if this is a fictional person that she's created who just happens to live in that time period um but the idea that you're creating this this archive, this big box of material to sift through and hunt through, I think is actually very um, analogous to the process of writing a novel in 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 pretty much any genre because you have to create this giant box of material that you can draw from. And you know, when you're doing archival research, anybody who's done it knows that as you're going through it, you're going to find that you come to dead ends, you reach wrong conclusions, uh, you find contradictory information, you go down blind alleys, it just happens all the time. And so I think part of that is embracing it, you know, that this is part of the process is, is creating this but also you know sort of dealing with what you have in front of you and making it part of the story um so i think that's a very interesting avenue for her to to explore as she's 
because what she's doing, this structure that she has given herself, it can be extraordinarily limiting, but it could also be very, very freeing if she can just find that, that excitement and that process within it. Yeah. Yeah. There's negatives and process and, and positives in both. So writing a, a novel entirely in journals can be very difficult um, because you're, you're forcing yourself into a particular format. And usually novels that are written as journal entries don't oftentimes sound purely like journal entries. Uh, the author has to cheat a little bit and has to play more with narrative fiction form in order for it to fully work. If it does just sound like a journal, it could it could die on the page because most journals are just a lot of exposition and a lot of telling, and they don't set scenes, they don't include actual dialogue. Um, so you already have to cheat a little bit with that format. And is that format helping you or is it getting you stuck? Um, why are you having to do the journal? Um, letters can be the same way. They can they can suffer for the same thing. Um, so either one of these might just be kind of a way in to kind of play and find voice and, and figure things out that way. But always being kind of awake again to what is working for you, what isn't, what is most exciting for you and not you know, I, I have authors all the time, they, 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 they say, well, I can't do that because in this scene, she does this. And I'm like, yeah, but you made that up too. So why can't, <laughs> like, and, and the author's like, oh, that's right. I made it up. Yeah, you made up everything. That's what's the fun of the novel. And, and another thing to be careful about with historical fiction is not, I mean, it's still fiction. And you can still experiment and have fun. There's a lot of wonderful historical fiction that's really breaking the lines of reality. You don't have to stay within realism. I mean, Globiana um, in the chat says, how about asking your characters to look over your letters to her, select one she wants to respond to, and write what she tells you about your letter. If you do this a few times, she'll probably let you know whether she needs your letters to help her tell the story. So there's two things happening here. So that seems a process uh, comment that can get the author out and get the character speaking up for herself. Um, you know, this might sound like a terrible idea, but but in, in historical fiction, again, if you break the bounds of reality, does your character who lived one century before, can she sense you writing to her? Can she sense this descendant speaking for her? Can she sense, is there, are there some compression of time that you can play with or um, some fantasy elements that you can play with? You're not absolutely locked into realism. Um, what I love about that suggestion though, is it is getting it back on the character because I yes, do- that's true. Listening to this question, I was thinking about the author narrator character merge issue where you're just getting so close to your character that it's there's no longer enough distance for the reader to really see the the character's point of view. Um, and so I wonder if this author is, you know, if she's getting so involved with the character that that she she can't even see the character anymore. And so I think getting that distance, asking the character what what she's interested in, that might help the the writer figure out, you know, what what does the character want and what is the character's misbelief and what is the character's big question? Um, because at the end, that's that's what we care about, right? Like who's the person stuff is happening to? Is it the author or is it the character? Because if it's the author, this is a memoir and we need to do something totally different. But if it's the right. character, like that's where we need to focus. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, again, it, it, when I was thinking about her writing letters to the character, 
I was thinking of it in terms of creating another character that that you're kind sure, of standing sure, sure. for and not from the author. And but that would be a completely different book and a completely different focus. Um, so kind of deciding what you want that to be. Hess, what are you gonna say? I would say why not try it? You know, yeah. I mean, she really is, uh, she might feel like she's been doing this forever, but she really is still in the experimental stage. And <laughs> yeah. this is the point where you can have fun with those sorts of things. You can, you know, yeah, have your character answer your letters from the future and just see what <laughs> happens because it could be gold. It could be absolutely not what you want to do, too. Um and you might as well try it anyway. I mean, I, I went through this with my novel Lightborn, um, as you know, Michelle. I know, you, saw you are a revision queen. I was so married to this structure because I had read another book that used it. I had dreamed about it. It felt right to me. I could see the cover that would result of using this particular structure in this particular way. And it was killing the book. You know, I had to shed that structure. I had to peel it off like the skin of an orange, you know? And once I had finally done that, I mean, it took me 10 years to do that. Just, just so you know. Um, but once I had finally done <laughs> It's an amazing that, novel. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> but in the end, it, I could breathe. You know, it was like all yeah. of a sudden this huge weight was off my shoulders. And a lot of that came from just playing around in the sandbox of the book and having fun with it and trying different things. And eventually I was just like, screw it. I am going to have fun with this book. I'm not going to marry myself to some structure that I, you know, some angel told me I had to use. <laughs> I'm yeah. just going to try something and have fun with it. And that really was when the book came to life for me. So I say, yeah, go for it. Try whatever, try anything. And it's not time wasted. It really isn't. If in the process you are discovering something, you're getting closer to whatever that thing is that this story wants or needs to be, do it. Definitely. Absolutely. Because it's not like, you know, the former Hess is, is looming over the younger Hess. <laughs> And you have to do what the former Hess decided to do, right? Because you don't. <laughs> you can say, yeah. fuck it to the former Hess. That wasn't a good idea. That's not working. Um, I have to pay attention to what's working on the page. You can always, and sometimes making those big leaps and those big decisions. Again, I, I, I think I've talked about this maybe too much, but I just took my protagonist out of my book, which is difficult to take your protagonist out of your book. Um, oh, wow. yeah. But I but I'm so glad that I did. And it freed me to do so much more with the book than I thought. So sometimes you need to make big leaps, big jumps to, into things that feel hard because you're like, oh, I've been doing this all along. And you just need to take that break. So Philip in the chat says creating an archive to discover the stories like Harold and the Purple Crayon using his own sometimes scary drawings to draw his way home. I love that. I love that. And then Aaron um, says, uh, I love the idea of an archival art, um, collection as a novel. What other artifacts might be there? Doodles, texts from the time the character annotated in the margins, a shopping list. Those using other forms of narrative or cheats on narrative can really help you break out of a format that you've been trying and just help you play a little bit. And then Elaine says, um, in Grammar for a Full Life, 
Lauren Weinstein points out that messages in writing like letters can be referred to in the present tense, you say versus you said, and that can bring the writer in the past into the action. Yes, that's true. That's true as well. Um, we also have a huge time period that she's dealing with here, 1862 to 1921. Tim, what do you think of that? That's a lot. I my the novel I'm working on right now takes place in about two weeks. Um, okay. And it used to be several months. And I realized that condensing the timeline really was the right choice. But I dithered on it for so long. And I kept shaving parts off a week here, a week there until it got down to the the two weeks, which was the right choice. But so to some extent, I would say just commit, just, you know, take the plunge when, when you're, when you're questioning things, because if you're questioning it, it's probably, you probably know the answer. But I also think, keep in mind that like energy, you have a hundred percent of your energy in a novel, right? And if you have 10 characters, each character is only getting 10% of the, the energy. And so if you have 60 years, each energy is only getting, you know, what is that point point eight seven percent of, yeah. of your energy. And so I wonder if condensing that down could be helpful or yeah, I mean, maybe not, I don't know your book, but, but that's a, that's a lot to handle. Um, and, and again, if it's fiction, it's up to you. Does it have to be that long? Do you have to cover that whole time period? Um, we can't answer those questions, of course. But, but yeah, that's 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 definitely a, 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 an ambitious undertaking, more than I would. I mean, there are novels that covered that amount of time, oh, for sure, for sure. But it's hard. <laughs> But like, if we think of the great believers, it covers so much time, but we don't actually cover all the time. We cover a few years right. and then we jump and we cover a few years. Whereas if you're yes. doing journals or letters, you're probably really in each year. So, so maybe even just right. choosing a few of those years over the 60 years could be helpful. Right. So yeah. a few groupings of years that you can concentrate on and then do, do leaps um, or just overall, like, gosh, what is, what is the pinnacle of the story? The thing that really made my character who she is who she was and how can I concentrate just on that because it is going to keep up not only your interest and it's going to be easier to write because you don't lose energy that way but it's also going to keep up the tension in the book um, because if a character um, has 60 years in order to accomplish what they want or do what they want you know we're not going to be like turning the pages quickly just to see, oh, are they going to get what they want? Because now oh, they have 60 years, you know, and they can sit on eating bagels and they don't have to do anything for 40 of those. Um, this is a problem, though, of historical fiction. So, Hess, I know you've dealt with this. Did you limit yourself on yours or not? I forget. In the end, what did you do? I limited myself to, uh, yeah, a couple of months, really. But most yeah. of the action occurs within 10 days. Um, yeah. All the same, I'm dealing with uh, a life, you know, a, a real person, Christopher Marlowe. He actually existed. Um, and I found that, you know, because I did try to approach it as this huge sweeping biography um, and it didn't work. You know, for one thing, Anthony Burgess had already done that. So there was no point. But um, the way that I, I sort of saw writing about a particular life, a particular person driving the, the plot is that there has to be this kind of tent pole sticking up in the middle of the story and everything, you know, is held in tension by that, that pole. So it's once you know what that is and, you know, in, in the case of a certain character, it might be the day they die. Um, it might be a particular relationship. Um, it might be 
you know, when they go to war, you know, whatever. Um, but that that thing has to have everything else hanging off of it. You know, it has to bear the weight of the story. So try to always write around it, try to keep it in sight in everything. And I think that will that will help kind of unify it and also discover maybe where there's where there's dead weight in there, where there's things that can be shaved off and 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 left behind. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Okay. We're going to have to wrap up. Um, thank God we just tried to cover one question today. <laughs> um, but there was just so much to talk about. So everyone, um, you can find our full schedule on the Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges, as well as on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so we can reach other listeners. There's also still time to register for the live webinar. Uh, we're doing it throughout June. Or June. I wish it was June. Throughout January. Um, and you can still, there's still time that you can submit your own writer issues um, according to the prompt, what's holding you back. You can send in the audio recording, which is fun because we get to hear their voice, or you can send it in written format to 7amnovelist at substack.com. Um, Tim and Hess, any final words about breaking through some writing obstacles, your own writing obstacles, this particular writing obstacle? What do you think, Tim? You know, I'm going to close with another quote because I love quotes, but it's from Le Petit Prince. And it's sometimes there is no harm in putting off a piece of work until another day. But sometimes is the key word there because in writing, putting it off is catastrophic. Um, maybe not catastrophic, but so just, you know, keep putting in the time, putting in the work and 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 it, it'll get somewhere. You know, the words will turn into something. But, you know, like Hess was just saying, you know, what's the inciting incident? What's the wounding event? Like get down to the basics with this character. And I think that'll answer your question. So. I believe in you. I'm excited for your project and I, and I can't wait to hear more someday. Yes. And Hess. Um, okay. So I have a quote too. My favorite quote that I'm like always bring up around writing is from Edward Albee's play, the zoo story. Sometimes you have to go a long distance out of the way in order to come back a short distance correctly. Um, and I find that to be so true. That is my entire writing process, which probably explains why it takes me so long to get anything done. But um, at the same time, you know, you do learn to embrace it and to just kind of enjoy the the lazy river <laughs> and see what's along the, the way. Um, so yeah, that would be my, my advice is to just kind of embrace the process and remember that it is discovery. You, you know, you're in the discovery phase and it may seem like, like you're in the weeds, but you're discovering a lot along the way. So, so don't lose sight of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And thank you, Rachel, so much. I think we're going to use the word dithering from now on because I just love that word. And we're going to ride the lazy river <laughs> because I think that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. Excellent. Thank you both so much for being with us and helping us out. Thank you everyone for listening. And I hope uh, you all have an excellent writing day. You're able to get back to your desk and get a lot uh, done on that lazy river. Thank you.